podcasting doesn't have to be difficult. In five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Buckle Up! Week two, we're doing it. Episode two with Mike and Ami. And let me tell you something. Before we begin, before we begin, we just took two hours to set up this brand new setup, which still looks like balls, and that's okay. Um, but here we are, two hours later, worn out. The second one's the hardest. The first one's fun. It's exciting. Doing it a second time is tough. Um, yes, because I would say I'm actually really uh, like relieved about the first one. It it was like this big like weight off my shoulders because we have been talking for such a long time. Years, years. Years. We should do a podcast. And the should part of doing creative things is like the worst thing. Because the longer the should goes on, like the bigger the should gets, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then we put it into tangible form. It was like we gave birth. And then even you moved here, and I was like, we got to do it the first week you're here. It's never going to happen. And it didn't happen and the first week I was here because uh, we had all these holidays. Yeah, but we got it. We had it. We made it happen. And what? What? Uh, how do you feel about the reaction? I feel awesome. And we got like literally eight followers in a day. <laughs> but it was like giving birth to a baby. It was like I spread Michael's legs, okay? I gave him an epidural. I held his hand and we birthed the podcast <laughs> together. And he did great. He really did great. He's so strong. He's an amazing, <laughs> amazing mother. <laughs> to be known, in all seriousness, it's like a funny thing when you, like, I feel like a lot of people, there's that talk of being scared of judgment and like that the self-judge of yourself when you're doing these kinds of things that are a little out there and weird. And the reaction has been really, really positive. And it's very small in most ways and big in a couple of ways because we put out the first one, we put it out there, and we, we, that was the first, well, you're right, the first one's more fun because it's all a novelty and it's just like, yeah, we did one. It's easy in a sense to do one. And it doesn't matter because you don't even know if it's going to ever Correct. Go and if you do one, you do one. And that's not really the goal, right? You want to be doing a podcast, not one podcast. But even just seeing... Like, I just got a sense of, like, the, there were people who directly reached out. Hey, so cool. That's awesome. But, like, you feel that. Did you feel that kind of positive energy in the air? And not fluffy like that, but yeah. did you feel that? Yeah, you feel a little bit of momentum, which is always nice. Any any kind of momentum that you feel when you get up in the morning is just fantastic. Joe's excited. It's like the birth to something as opposed to an idea. Because yeah. I feel like I, you have endless ideas in your head, and there's a weird pattern that happens where um, there's a weird pattern that happens where if you if you have the tendency to uh, to have ideas stir around in your head like of we should we should we should, the more you do that, that becomes an, a pattern in and of itself. That becomes what yeah. you do. Saying yeah. I should do something. Yeah, and I think something probably that you and I have both wrestled with over the last couple of years is the, you know, there's an inherent disappointment when you do something because it's not exactly how you expect it to mm. be. Try to talk a little closer because it's I'm not exactly how, how you expect it to be. And the more things you do and the more disappointment you deal with, the easier it is to just be like, you know what, we're gonna try it. It might suck. If it sucks, cool. If it doesn't yeah. cut, suck, that'll be great. Um, most of the people, most of the people I know, um, they don't try enough things to ever get past that stage of like, well, we'll see how it turns out. Right. You're saying because once you finally do something, it's always that tinge of disappointment. It's, it's a death. Yeah, that idea is dying. The idea is really exciting. Oh, I and see. And then the idea you're, dies. And you're you creating and you're killing it at the and, same yeah, time. And you have to actually deal with what it is. You have a schmutz on the mustache in case I zoom in. Oh, right thank there. you. Right there. Okay. Is it a good thing? It's, or no, no, it's, it's very very thing. insignificant. But in case we get high yeah. resolution on this new camera that we're using, it'll be nice. Some people I know what like you're it. saying. Be- I-, I keep hearing Jordan Peterson's voice in my head, and I'm not just doing it to do it, but it's like, you, what, what you're killing is that potential mm. of the idea. It had endless potential. Then you do it, man, and, you know, if it's not exactly what you had in mind, that ideal gets totally destroyed, and you got to build it back up again. Right, and it's like a relationship, <laughs> too, you know, when you're dating. Um, you know, like Good Wanting is sort of about that. Right. Where... Um, you know, it's not. It's never as exciting as you hope it, it as you hope it's going to be. You know, it's not perfect anymore. Right. Um, it's funny. It's an interesting tangent that we're on because, with relationships like big things like getting married, having kids, all of those things, I think I grappled with this at a very young age and sort of un- I felt like I went through some things that helped me to understand this at a young age where, when something is not living up to its expectation in the moment you're constantly, like, wrestling with it. Like, why isn't this what it's supposed to feel like? Why isn't this what it's supposed to feel like? And, like, I feel like part of getting older is realizing there is no supposed to. 
That is what it feels like. Right. And it's actually much more relatable and much mm-hmm. more real. Remember that remember that movie um 500 Days of Summer? I love that movie. Right. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt you know who wrote it? Michael H. Weber. Good for you. Yeah. A different one. A different one, but Okay. Um it is recording, yes? Uh yeah, yeah. Good. Um see where uh, evidence of the second podcast. That's okay. And I'm going to leave it unedited on purpose to fully expose ourselves. Not in that way. Maybe. Um, yes, in that movie, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has a line. Or no, one of the characters has a line where he talks about the girl he's with. Um, he, talks about, he talks about the girl of his dreams, and he describes her. And he says, and she has this, and she has this, and he, all of these amazing qualities. And then he says, but, but, the, and then, but like whatever her name was, Jennifer, who he's the person he's with, he's like, but Jennifer's yeah. not like that. She's not like any of those things. She's better than the girl of my dreams. She's real. Yeah. I love that. She's real. It wasn't Joseph Gordon-Levitt. No, it was, it was side the character. guy, but yeah. But that line yeah. was so powerful, and I was like, oh. It, it, that one hit like home for me when yeah. I saw it. I didn't love the movie. It gets a little too goofy for me, a yeah. little too out there. But, or too meta or whatever it was. Yeah. But it was like, that was such a powerful thing, and it's so true. Everything that is your dream, your ideal, is, is, is just that. It lives right. here. It lives in the ideal space, and you strive for that, and then you put it into some kind of tangible form. Right. Not to toot our own horn too much, but we did. Like, I'm looking at the logo. I'm looking at the things. I'm seeing people react to something real. A YouTube channel got set up. Go subscribe. Uh, Instagram, whatever that is, tangible form. It's like you're creating something, and what you're killing is not it. You're killing its ideal. Exactly. Exactly. My wife all the time looks at me and I can just see how disappointed she is. <laughs> but she's, you know, she sticks around because because that's what it's about. That's it. That's what that's it's it. about. Once you learn how to settle properly, it's a great thing. Yeah, and we're <laughs> and we're very and we're very content. But you know, when you hold your baby, <laughs> we both have kids. When you hold the baby for the first time, and you're yeah. like, you're wondering, how am I supposed to feel right now? That's a that's a hard thing to like let go of mm. this supposed to feel and just feel. Well, I think yeah, and, and when you when you look at your kid or when I look at my kid there's there's that feeling of your your imperfections are what make you perfect you know mm. for yourself it's so it's so impossible to do but you're you know there's nothing you could do to make yourself imperfect you're perfect exactly with all your faults mm-hmm. um you know and that's real life that's what really how did you is. get that from looking at her <laughs> what do you mean? You look at the baby no, no, and you're thinking about your imperfections? No, no, no. You look about the baby. You look oh. at the baby and, and you go. Did you like, just drop her and then picked her up? Is that and, <laughs> and you go, you know, and, and you're like, you're perfect just the way you are. Mm-hmm. You, you should be able to say that to yourself. You should be able to say that with all the things you do, also. Mm-hmm. Um, they're perfect just the way they are. Right. Um, but uh, it's tough. I wish I had. Breathed. But the. Yeah. No, go, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know if you want me to talk about this, but Michael, you had your first baby, right? Mm-hmm. About how long ago? Uh, almost a year. Right. Over All year. the things people do talk about did come, like how it's supposed to feel, though, eventually. Like the good stuff. Yeah, I was lucky. I was worried about it. I, <laughs> I'm very lucky that, like, the moment she was born, I was very much in love with her. You were smitten. Um, yeah. But I was, I didn't think that would happen. Right. I was, I was very nervous. You were more worried. Be, you wouldn't, so you were prepared. You would think I wouldn't feel anything. Yeah, I thought I'd be walking around with the shame of, like, I feel nothing. <laughs> I feel nothing for this person. But thankfully, um, thankfully, I do. Right, right. I think I forced some cries when my first was born. I was like, <coughs> but I let it go quick. Like, even, yeah. like right away for like a millisecond. I'm like, am I supposed to cry? But it was awesome. Oh, I did it. But I do know that, <laughs> what? I cried. Well, oh. It just came out. There you go. Yeah. You win. Yeah. No, but there's, there's <laughs> like a guilt about that, you know? It's that, but no, it's... I, I definitely felt the, it was sort of like it's overwhelming. You're just like, oh my God. But then like, it's true. We are human beings. And even with your own children, like you bond with them over time. Yeah. Not instantly like what we essentially have been talking about with all of this stuff is the romantic and the reality like how Mm -hmm. we romanticize things and there's the romantic fantasy of things and uh and the reality of things i saw a jordan peterson video we were talking about dating too and he was like you have a fantasy of the girl ha yeah well good luck with that (laughs) (laughs) ha 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 good luck with that then it's real man then you got to deal with her flaws and you got flaws too so you got to cook something up yeah you know then you got to pound that over and over (laughs) i went there um but, but yeah. then maybe, and then maybe you deal with those flaws and you reconcile them over time. It's bloody hard, yeah. th- and you live happily ever after. I think late twenties, early thirties, for me at least, is when I started really grappling with the death of the of the romance of, of what is it that I can actually do mm-hmm. um, in like, every aspect. What of life? kind of people are actually attracted to me, want to be around me? And this was I, in the datingness. Well, it starts with dating, but mm-hmm. also like career. Like you yeah. know, um, like can I write or not? 
like, can I figure out how to work in finance or not? Like, what, mm. what, what am I actually capable of? Right. And you either adapt and accept it or you don't. And, you know, I know people now also who are, you know, who are still haven't seemed to accept what they are and what they aren't. Um, and it's tough to watch. Um, but I, and, and, and I think you're lucky. If you're able to, you're lucky. It's a gift. Yeah. And if you can't, it's, it's tough. In truth, Jordan Peterson, on the serious side of Jordan Peterson, has said something true in these debates I've watched where he said to somebody... You don't know yourself as well as you think you do. You be, he's like, how can you? How can, he was talking about how authoritarians want to control other people and think they know what's best for them. You don't know what's best for yourself, let alone somebody else. You you have no idea who you are. Mm-hmm. You're young in your process. Like you're just getting to know who you are every decade a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So you don't even. We think we know. Oh, I'm this and I'm that and that labeling. Am I a writer? Am I this? Is also a trap a little bit. Sure. I in college was not the. I went to music school at Berkeley, and I was like, okay, when I get out of school, I'm going to have to hook up with a music tech guy who knows how to push all these buttons and do all these recordings because I'm not that guy. And fast forward like 10 years later, I'm very much that guy, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm the go-to guy, and I produce people, and I'm the guy. That's my role. One of my big roles in the band is doing a lot of that stuff. And, tech, and I'm like, okay, now I identify with that, but only because I had to pursue it, and then you can identify with with whatever people like the labels and stuff you can they sort of are good shortcuts Mm -hmm. but they can't be traps like you don't know right you don't know like who you are and you don't know what anybody else is capable of either including yourself so i feel like that's trying to put the the cart before the horse i never i don't know how that i don't never understood that expression really but i'm lesson learned in podcasting when you're doing it all yourself our camera just died so luckily we'll have half of this podcast on one camera and half on the other um but the hell were we talking? <laughs> I don't know. Um, we were talking about the baby of the the, the, the baby, the rapper, the baby, the baby. Oh no! Yeah. How your work is like a baby. This podcast was a baby. You gave birth to it out your ass, and then uh, <laughs> and then how? Uh, oh, the romanticiza- romanticization of life, and then right. the reality. Well, no, of life. What we were talking about was some people. Oh no! You were saying where you don't want to limit yourself to a certain identity. Where you say yes. I'm a composer, I'm a tech guy, whatever it is, and 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 I was saying some people have the gift of sort of accepting, accepting and moving forward, and and some people just don't. And I I think it's a gift. Do you think it's something you could learn? Oh no, I I would say this in general. It's a I I was lucky to know what I liked, and that cross section of like knowing you like something and then being good at it. That's a lucky thing to try to find something you enjoy doing and that you're good at. Because you do meet people who are like, I'm enjoy- I enjoy making this stuff, but it's like not. But generally right. with time, that can get improved. But you kind of have to always try to find that medium or like learn to love, really like something. I think it was, what's his name? Um, you know the guy who did Dirty Jobs, Mike Rowe? Has yeah. A, his video He's of got a great... don't love what you do. What did he say? Don't do what you love. Don't follow your passion. Sorry, that was it. It was like a PragerU video. Uh-huh. And he said, the theme was, don't follow your passion. Become passionate about what you do. Yeah, that seems like <laughs> practical advice. No, in the sense that, like, do something and do it really well. Yeah, well, th- that's, and then you'll know yeah. if you like it. I think for like, most, for most, for most of things in my life, um, that's the secret to happiness. Like figuring out how to do something really well and getting better at it in the process mm-hmm. makes me a happy person. Yeah. I don't know, for me, I've always felt, and maybe I'm just being a baby about it, but if I couldn't write, I couldn't really enjoy anything else. Mm-hmm. And I tried a lot of things. Yeah, um, that's fine. Right. But, but that's but very I, good in a sense. Right, right. That so takes the stress off of knowing what you want to do. For someone like me, would he say, you don't necessarily need to pursue writing, do do the real estate thing because that's easy and... Um, and just figure out. How I to think be his point—it's it. like a medrash. I think his point was to say, the hard work and the grueling nature of any pursuit comes first, before the dream of it, or before the passion and the positivity. Yeah, like that. That's the point. He's not telling you to do one thing or another. He's not saying don't do the things that are lofty. He's saying, like, what's really important first before you can know. Just like knowing yourself and knowing what knowing, like knowing who you are. You don't know. Until you do something to the point where you're so good at it that you can decide. Now, it doesn't mean, yeah, take that for the grain of salt. Don't try everything and everything and work it to the fullest. You can, it's always like, when do you cut the cord and say, this isn't for me? I don't like it. When have you given everything its fair shot? 
You only can choose certain things at a time. So you find an inkling of something you enjoy. I think in the video he does say that. We'll mm -hmm. link in the description below. No, I'm just kidding. We won't. But <laughs> in the video he says, if you're interested in something, go for it. And then put in the time to like, you know, give that interest its due mm -hmm. in a sense. Remember what I was saying about stand-up? I'm not, uh, When I was saying how like I'm not at the point where it's enjoyable yet. Because it's still work. It's in the sense of like putting in that development time, that comfort, that experience with right. doing stand up in that in, in that area. Like the way um, as opposed to when I'm doing music where I can really have these shows where I can just really transcend it and let go and have all the fun I want. I know it it takes a long time to get there. So like it's like when you first watch somebody play guitar and you're like, I wanna do that. Wow. Right. Then you pick up the guitar and two weeks in, I hate this thing. And where do you think that muscle comes from where you're able to say I understand that I need to put in a lot of work before I can I can really do this thing. So you are setting up the great debate that we were talking about just before we went on. Right. Um, how much of everything in life is fully innate yeah. and how much is like learned and acquired? Right? right. That's really the bigger question you're or, asking. And, and really the, the things that you're able to learn, does that come from an innate ability to learn? Or or not, but 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 ants, but specifically with this, and maybe it's a good way into it. Mm. Where where do you think your ability to put work into something and practice comes from? Comes from. Well, it's interesting. Was it an experience that you had? The ability to put work into something is deeper than putting work into something. Right. The the not, not the the ability to sort of look down because the road because ability and be is patient. built up over time by putting in the work. Right. But you're saying there's an ability to do that. There's an ability to start doing that. Um, there's a capacity to start doing that and stick with it. What was the first thing you started with and stuck with? Here's what I can tell you. Being naturally good at something is an innate advantage. Like if you can sing and somebody can hear you and go, wow, you're, you, you should do that. Like that sounded really good. Not everyone's on an equal playing field with that stuff. Like naturally give born talents, musical abilities, whatever that is. Right. And people talk about that all the time, like that fairness or whatever that is. Um, but I've seen plenty in, in my experience in the game, you know, hard work goes further than talent because at a certain point talent evens out and everyone's sort of talented in their own way. That, that contest, exhausts itself and then it's like who outworks the other mm -hmm. but before you get to that point that initial curiosity that initial initial encouragement from teachers and peers and whatever that comes um that can give me that initial uh that probably gave me as a young kid like yeah i, I want to do that because i like the way it makes me feel i like the way it makes others feel i'm getting a good reaction it's like a it was an interesting encouraging thing and that came from probably just natural talent and singing and getting a re getting a reaction sure Going from hobby and everything else to turn into career. That's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. That. You're yeah. talking about natural talent versus... I'm saying, I, th I think everyone probably has some experience of being told they're naturally good at one thing or another. Right. You, you're, you were able to, to take that natural ability and work really hard to make it into something mm -hmm. greater. Right. And at There's that a point, lot of I think that's all a matter. can't. But I think... No, but I think that is where the work is in, in character and determination and all those things. And I can't tell if you're saying every single decision is completely not like, you know, to, no, to the no, credit no. of it's, the person it's doing It's character it. and determination. But, but, but where does character and determination come from? That's, that's my I would question. say probably a combination of nature and nurture. Lived experience and, you know, temperament. You don't control the temperament right. necessarily. Everyone's got different temperament. Right. But that also doesn't mean as a matter of degree – in extremes that there's no credit to pursuits and no ability to evolve and, and improve. Because what you're saying otherwise is very nihilistic Every, or, or predetermined. Everybody is what they are. Don't do anything else. Don't pursue something unless... Because that's also... It like falls into the same thing. Are you labeling yourself a person who uh, evolves or a person who doesn't evolve? Mm -hmm. Like, which one are you? And because we don't know, no one's in touch with the higher power to know which one they're supposed to be. You just have to do. You're right. So and I now, and and I think that attitude is is what allows you to to do right. And I don't think I don't think I don't I don't think that I think that attitude is something is a gift and it's not necessarily every something everybody can learn. 
and um, this is why, and, and it brings us back to the beginning. This is why I all think the it's fo- a little bit determined. It's why all the follow your dreams porn that you see all over Instagram and Entrepreneurville and influence mm-hmm. and business influencers is total bullshit. Right. There's so, the people who make the bullshit and the people who consume right. the bullshit. There's a tiny fraction of those people that are going <laughs> to actually change. Yes. And most of the people will just watch it and continue watching it until they're dead. But because nobody knows their future <laughs> mm-hmm. or what they're predestined to do, mm-hmm. then we don't know. We can go in circles all day with this. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, that doesn't mean everyone's free from judgment and accountability. Of themselves, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I. I you are I do. That. I do kind of think that. It's also. the Sam Harris. Thing. I also don't. Everyone yeah. questions Sam Harris's whole thing on free will, right? That he makes a very, I think, you know, concise case that every sentence, even the words that I put together right now, is being formulated in my head from thoughts and neurons firing off that all, and you can predict it before I say it. Mm-hmm. Is it me? And then there's the compatib- compatibilist argument, which says like, like whatever's happening in here is me. But he makes a deeper point that I can't articulate. I'm not sophisticated enough to do that. But it's I, I can sort of follow his argument. Yeah. And then everyone's like, well, then what about murderers and all these other people? And he takes more of, I think, of a utility, pragmatic approach. Well, they still need to be locked away because we have to have a functioning society yeah. and morality. But it, it, it can be very damning what you're saying and very encouraging what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because then someone will label themselves, I'm not that guy that evolves. Um, or, but if they're the kind of guy that evolves, they'll go, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that doesn't evolve. Well, then at the end of the day, if this is like, if, is God there or not, and it's a circle, then the circle continues and life moves on, and we'll see where the chips fall. Yeah. Well, it brings me to the next so what, point. What type of person are you? Because I'm flipping it back at you. I think, I, I, I think I'm the type of person that... Um, that is aware of this con- That's aware problem. and evolves and has, has some sort of intrinsic motivation to change and help myself and improve mm-hmm. but I, I i but but I, I look at people close to me who don't who might not necessarily right. be ha- they haven't done it yet and and i just feel very blessed what's like, the difference i don't know where it comes from what's the difference? i'm just happy i have it right but your demon or your your inner like self that you're battling is bigger than mine you think bigger like harder to fight like the guy who's the, your inner critic yeah who's preventing some of the stuff that you want like You've struggled with sometimes output of things or yeah. like like over perfectionism and yeah. those kinds of things. No, no, that that's not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not comparing who okay. has like a harder time with it. Okay. I think it's like binary. Either either you you can either you can. So you're you on can. one side of it or another. Yeah, yeah and you yeah. you feel fortunate. You can either that, help yourself or you can't help you yourself. F- oh, so you feel you're on. You're you're not, you're not you're not. We weren't talking my experience versus yours. You were just no, saying no, no, that on yeah. the binary of are you on but, that side of it or on the other. I'm side talking of about it. your experience versus somebody who calls you up once a week and goes, I have this idea. I have another idea. Yeah, the, I have this the other idea. Yeah, and you're like, cool. I did right, come up cool. in living in living in LA. This is I'm, I try not to be judgmental. Everybody has their own things going on, but just for shorthand, I came up with the term. This is gonna make me sound like such a douchebag. I told this to you. <laughs> so don't say it. You could say Why? You could, all right. What can you do? <laughs> I'm maybe partially douchebag. I have to accept that. But it was a term called clab, and I don't like like I came up with the term. I'm a douchebag. Classic LA bullshitters. It was just something I said to you mm-hmm. when just trying to describe the different experiences I was having over the course of the last ten years in LA. You know, you have to sort of filter like when you're when you're like getting involved with people creatively, who has things going on and who doesn't, and what's and there is like a classic LA bullshitter, a clab, or you know, I, I think I'm going to drop the term now. It's nasty. Well, they but they, but, they but, live but, everywhere. It's not an LA thing. Okay, yeah. but I noticed it a lot in LA because no, I, they definitely live in LA a lot. And people have said this. There was somebody on, on Rogan who said, nobody ages in L.A. You can be like 47 working on a screenplay in a Starbucks. And that's just allowed, you know, right. in your pajamas. And it's like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, but, but, but the idea is like, I, I know, I, what I noticed, the patterns of behaviors of different people was that, and like who I was involved with is that people who have a lot going on, like real things going on creatively that you want to kind of be around. They don't talk about it first thing when you when you bump into them. It's not something they drop. They're not constantly talking about it. They're working. Mm-hmm. And the people who have not much going on are talking a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. So I've got this thing. I pitched this thing. I'm working with this director right. guy. We'll see what happens. And then you know, because so, there's a lot of insecurity there. And I get it. I'm not even. I mean, classic LA bullshitter is mean. So I I don't really love it. But the idea is that you can kind of tell the difference at a certain point when someone's right. like, yeah, I got this thing. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be huge, man. It's gonna be huge. Right. As opposed to the guy who's been in it. And that was kind of what I, where, where I sort of leaned into, where it was like, I know that everything almost happens. That's kind of how things go. The grind, there's constantly 
so many changing factors and you have to like let those disappointments just kind of roll off your shoulder and mm -hmm. let it be part of the process and move on. And so the people who are working aren't really talking about it because they've seen firsthand how many things fall through, how many things, they're just kind of like, I'm in it and I'm working head down, um, shit, next. Right. That's the expression yeah. I learned, shit, next. Right. And so I look at a person like that and I look at a person who can't do that and I just say like, like a nebuch, like I, I don't, I don't blame you. I just, I just feel for you. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, how yeah, to help. I'm not trying to cast aspersions. I was just yeah. talking shorthand when I said yeah, it to yeah. you, and yeah. and I'm not. Yeah, it's not like they're bad well, it's good. people, and we but it's have just that. like. And you have a part of you. You have a club in yourself, also. Somewhere. I'm also trying to not look as bad a person on the podcast as you are, but <laughs> in in truth, you're right. I shouldn't. It's fine. But it was just a matter of like you know, honestly, being kind of very not harsh about it but okay like what's going on here who like reading different kinds of people right. and what they're so doing. where it brings me is is to a place not of being harsh at all but but of, but of, but of not judging right <laughs> of not judging and being like um i don't i don't i don't like blame you and and i just um i, I don't think it's your fault but what if someone like, was pitching not judging you. what if someone was like hey let's write together let's make something and you sense that they're I would. What I do is I say yes, and then I just end. In, I end up in in years of uh, of, of of badness. That's, exactly. That's, that's what I do. I'm not saying that's it for the I sake do. of judging or, or 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 boosting myself up on some sort of pedestal. Like that's why. No, it I know that. I know that. In I'm, other words, yeah. it's not that. It's that. It's that in when you're like networking, which is a dirty word. Yeah. Um, you know, you're uh, you're. You're just sort of assessing, like when you're talking to people, and you want to like actually put time and effort into things. If it's going to be something that amounts yeah. to something that you uh, feel like it's going to go somewhere, that, that flakiness that people talk about in LA, it's not really a real thing. You just have to surround yourself with people that you yeah. like are inspired by, and then you admire their work and their efforts and all of that. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. But the great debate over whether which side of it you're on, I guess we never know. And how, yeah. what do you make of? Here's the sticking point for, uh, in terms of people who've been at like rock bottom that. Became zillionaires at fifty-five and turned it all around. They so, crossed the binary. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so for, you, for them, I would say they had they had a fortunate sort of turn of circumstance, which which was just an hitting rock bottom, which doesn't look like that to them, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's also some some sort of fortunate circumstance. Like mm -hmm. they, it wasn't necessarily something they did to hit rock bottom. I don't know. Maybe it's easier to hit rock bottom than <laughs> than I think. But um, yeah, I would just say. I don't know. I just have to check the recording because yeah, it's still going. Pocket. Still going. I would say it's uh, you don't know. People do turn things around. It does happen. But you're yeah. just but yeah. you're just saying no, no. And, and for me, I I hit my own sort of rock bottom, and and I decided I'm going to move forward in one direction because I had to. But I look back on that and going and, and like I'm I'm very I'm grateful for for hitting that rock bottom. I, I don't I couldn't have designed that. What was it your just rock, sort of happened? What was your rock bottom? What was my rock bottom? Tell the folks. Um, what was it? I think. When I turned 27, I had a very, very clear, very clear thought on my 27th birthday. And I thought to myself, Kurt Cobain died when he was 27. And he'll be remembered for generations. And everything he, the guy who's going to be remembered for generations, everything he is, he'd ever done, he had done before he was 27. <laughs> I'm 27, and I can't think of anything that I could be proud of in that way. Mm -hmm. And and I just had this very clear thought of like I have to get started, I just have to get started. Interesting. Um, and it came at uh, I was reading the Fountainhead at at a time at the time, and also there's a scene in there. Um, have you read it? I read Atlas Shrugged. You got to just pick one. Okay? Yes. They're all humongous books. And so, Atlas Shrugged was the one that changed my life. But uh, so the Fountainhead changed my life. When you get to first. it was this scene specifically um, where there's like if you haven't read it, there's like the artistic architect. Spoiler alert: and, the Fountainhead. <laughs> And like the the business guy is trying to get Howard Rourke, the, the yeah Howard Rourke is like the 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 cool guy who sticks to his guns and just follows his vision no matter what anyone says. And then there's the other guy who doesn't, and he tries to have a career. Mm -hmm. um, and then the whole thing happens. And years later, the the artist guy ends up on the top, the career guy ends up on the bottom, and the career guy brings a painting to the artist guy, and mm -hmm. he goes, you know, it's been a while, but I, I want to start getting into painting mm -hmm. again. What do you think? And he shows him his painting. And the artist guy looks at it, he tears it up, and looks at him, and he goes, "It's too late." <laughs> and and Did when that I, happened in the fountain, it happens fountain. And when I read that, that's such object objectivish <laughs> dickishness. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is. But when I read that, whatever you think of the scene, I I I this thing went off where I went. There's this pursuit I want to do, this dream I have, and I'm taking it for granted that whenever 
I get the wherewithal to do it, it'll be there. But what if it's not there anymore? Mm-hmm. And that fear of like, what if I can't do it? Just, it, it really frightened me. You got a sense of urgency. Yeah, and, and, and just at that age, I, I had nothing, I couldn't get a job. I like, I had gotten laid off from, a, from like it was a couple. In the stu- you were in the startup world? The startup was the Oh, no, well, that was my own thing. Then I had, like, a job, and the company later run off. Uh, Saver. Saver. Yeah, which which was awesome, but, like, it didn't work out for me Mm -hmm. professionally. I got another job after that. It didn't work out for me professionally. Um, Like, these companies got bought and laid people off, but whatever. I I, I wasn't chosen to stick around. Um, And I was just like... I don't. I don't have to be a millionaire to start writing. Mm. I can be broke and start writing. Mm. And so, and and at whatever. That I, I was just sad and afraid, and had nothing else going on. And I was like, let me just start. There's people who are sad and afraid and have nothing else going on that go. Oh, sh- I, I we better, don't have to talk about them yeah. anymore. They're failures. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever. That was me. No. But and I look back at that, and I was. And very you started hearing in the air. And then the universe gave me good feedback. You know, yeah. I started, and and people were like, "Oh, I like this thing. Right. That's you should do that." Um, that's interesting. I had yeah. a thought based on what you said. You said that uh, you were given the sense of urgency, and then what happened next? I mean, what was the next pursuit? Um, I, I started writing. Right after that, I took a job at yeah. a company that I didn't want and didn't mm-hmm. like, but I was, I was like, this, this is what I do. I, mm-hmm. I do product management. This is right. what I do. Um, but while I was doing that, I started writing. I started making a documentary about yeah. my friends, like Squits and Mo. They had this mm-hmm. br- microbrewery, mm-hmm. and I just I, I was doing the job as, as much as they needed me to do it, and I was like really putting my full heart into making this documentary on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of the first creative endeavor solely creative it wasn't like you know like a startup which is creative but also business and all that it was just like i want to do this thing and i want to be the guy who's doing it but you began were you writing daily at that point and you hadn't been what changed routine wise did you start implementing different things nothing changed routine wise your mindset changed on mission you were mission driven yeah 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 there's a great book i definitely want to talk about that and repeated episodes on this podcast because it'll speak to a lot of things we're talking about um it's the Scott Adams book, How to Fail at Everything mm-hmm. and Still Win Big. Because you said a line in there where you're like, I had done all those things that didn't work out, so screw all that, right? Mm-hmm. But his book illuminated something really interesting to me, which put that sense of urgency in its sort of proper place um, because he worked in the corporate world for years, Right. And Scott, who's Scott Adams? Scott Adams. Okay, so Scott Adams is uh, the uh, creator of the Dilbert comic strip. That's what he's most known right. for. And then he became pretty popular in the Trump era as a guy who predicted Trump's victory in 2016. Right. He, he well threw- before anybody did because he's also a trained <laughs> hypnotist and noticed Trump's abilities as a persuasion expert and master, right. uh, you know, and master of persuasion. And he called it, he called the election for Trump like, in 2015, during the early primaries, when there was like still 15 candidates, yeah. and everybody laughed. And then he won the nomination. I kept telling you at the time, I'm like, I'm telling you Trump's going to win. Didn't I tell you at the time? I've been listening yeah, to this guy, yeah, Scott yeah. Adams, and he's been, it's just crazy what yeah. he's picked up on with Trump. But, and, the, and then Trump won, and Scott Adams decided to throw it all away by keeping making, to make videos about yeah, Trump. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, the thing is, I, if I was going to turn you on to Scott Adams, and Trump is so divisive, yeah. you're probably not going to read this book. But the point is, this has nothing to do with it. I okay. discovered him because of, he was promoting his book, um, How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big. And he talks about his experience of working in banking for like, I don't know, 25, like a long time. A very, very long time before he was a... And then he, he did these affirmations to himself that he was going to be a famous cartoonist one day. But right. what happened, Right. His main thesis in the book is that everything that you do, you could look at as a failure if it, do- if it doesn't reach the goals you set out. But he says goals are for losers. It's all about systems. It's all about putting into place systems and looking at everything that you do as what did you gain from that experience? What did you learn? So you learned probably different sorts of skill sets at all of these things. So they were really all macro failures but miniature successes or macro successes, miniature failures, sure. however you want to look at it. Each one was giving you skill sets that would serve the next endeavor. Very you much know? so. Very much so you so. could look at one pursuit. You know, I was in this, I was doing this movie and the movie didn't get the festival I wanted to get to and it sort of got shelved. But you're not looking at the other stuff. I learned cinematography. I learned how to scout for locations and casting and production. Yeah. I actually gained all of these things from yeah. doing that movie. Even if the movie itself's intended goal didn't happen. So 
his comic book is Dilbert, which is about the corporate world that was his lived experience. And the only way he was able to create it right. was by doing all that yeah. and, and really being able to write something that resonated. Yeah. You have to live real life in order to create real art. So he talks about that. So then I started looking at everything I've done as not like, I just keep failing at different things. That band didn't do this and this band didn't do that and all these different things on, on the way actually serves to teach you all these other things and following mm -hmm. that course. And it's a, maybe a super hyper positive mindset, but it's, it's not untrue. Right. And looking back, yeah. That, I mean, I think that's, the, that's an amazing attitude, looking back. Yeah. It's and harder. It's, what I'm saying it's, is it's yeah. more than just an attitude. It's actually true. It's, it's like, true, right? It's like, oh, you're right. I learned. Even the things that don't work are very valuable. Like, mm -hmm. I learned what, what not to do in that space. So, like, when we hit the ground running here, right, totally. you're like all like, Ami, how are you doing the Instagram? Right? Yeah, right. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even next week. It took us two hours today. It'll take half an hour next Right, because now we know, okay, this is the shot. But it right. took us a second to find the shot. Or we could say we couldn't, we, we, we failed so many times. Totally, but, totally, totally. But, like, I hit the ground running, and I even yeah. saw myself doing this. Yeah. I was like, wow, graphics, this, that, uh, dimensions, YouTube chat, all those things would have been insanely overwhelming to me just two years ago I'm like I don't know and like every, I, I, and even the experience of gaining the authority to know what is the thing you're supposed to do properly what does a proper YouTube channel kind of look like mm -hmm. it's not like I really know but I know a little bit more now having done really shitty ones mm -hmm. <laughs> and really like uh, like you know amateur looking things that cringy stuff just is actually success right because it's building blocks to things yeah you know yeah. so do How to still, fail at everything and still win big. Do you still watch Scott Adams? No, because I was really Is interested in his takes it? on Trump because yeah. in the age of Trump, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> he was the only guy who could make sense of things. Yeah, and yeah. Always, I watch I watched Trump, them, there, there his was, morning coffee thing. Yes. Okay, okay, sit down, buckle up. <laughs> Look at Trump. Dup, 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 you just want to like... Yeah, I, yeah, Scott, blow your nose. <laughs> dup, 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 dup. Living in the suburbs, there's just constant grass. I don't know if you guys grass can hear that. Being <laughs> cutting grass outside. Mm. I was very intrigued to check out all things Scott Adams because the news narrative <coughs> and the um, media covering. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> We're live. Um, the news mayor covering Trump water? was so. Uh, Thank you. That's our invisible assistant. <laughs> Anytime he said something, a tweet, like you knew that CNN was overreacting or, mis or willfully misinterpreting it, but you also sometimes were like, that can't be. Because Scott Adams' like, premise or, or whatever, Scott Adams' uh, take on Trump was that most of the things were very intentional and crafted and part of this masterful plan of how to manipulate and persuade. And, that, and sometimes he would treat like, you know, these military families, they're fucked up. Like, you're like, no, that can't be part of, like, it, right, it seems to me impulsive and sometimes, uh, and oftentimes pathological and, yeah. and crazy. But you know it wasn't fully crazy? But oftentimes, sometimes you're just like, how are you going to explain that one? Kim Jong-un, he's a cunt bag. What are you going to do? And you're like, <laughs> and then Scott Adams gets on and says, so why did he use the word cunt? <laughs> Think about it. What does cunt mean in Korean? It means... Unbelievable. <laughs> there was always some hidden yeah, reason, yeah. And, and every time Scott said it, it would sound crazy, and then a couple weeks later, everything Scott said that would happen would happen on the world stage. Like Everyone's like, we're going to war with North Korea. But in all seriousness, he would say, what Trump is doing is A-B testing. He's saying something crazy, then he's walking it back two weeks later, and he's seeing how the crowd reacts, and then the policy that he actually arrives at happens to be the one <laughs> that they'd settle on, and it turns out it looks like Trump compromised, but he really didn't. So as you follow the overarching narrative and the arc, it, it, like, like the accuracy of Scott Adams was really insane and undeniable, if yeah. you were following it. And it, it provided some kind of grounding in that age of like, what is going on in the world and what's true? Because that's what happened. Truth died big time in the Trump era. Like even the ability to discuss what we all thought was just basic truths about things. Because you knew that CNN mainstream media stuff is just like, overplaying their hand and have cried wolf, right? Because they're like, they're saying things about Trump that are just, you know, can't be, or like everything Trump would say, yeah. like he was like, uh, yeah, Trump could say something mundane and really jokish, you know? We had a great time, went to the border, it was crazy, crazy, crazy times at the border. Trump calls immigrants crazy. 
<laughs> you know, like that's what they would do, cut and paste the text. But then, you know, you can't, and then a lot of things that were indefensible statements, and Scott Adams kind of provided this weird space to. Yeah, yeah. during that whole time, I. Um... But I don't care what he wants, how he wants to translate Biden. Like, I'm kind of like, it, right. it ran, it's, it served its purpose. Anyway. You know yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, it's, it's funny thinking back to that time in like 2016. I immediately got off Twitter mm. when that happened because I had followed it religiously. A little closer. I had followed it religiously through the election. And I was just like, this, this was a waste of time. I didn't like, everyone told me he was going to lose and he won. So I got to follow, I got to find new people to, to, to follow because I was. I, Oh, you lost your trust in the establishment institutions. No, it wasn't even trust. It was just more utility. Like the articles I was reading by the writers I was reading, they were so wrong. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would I keep reading them? Like I have to just find credibility. The people who died. had been right. Credibility. Yeah, yeah, and and not not in the sense that it's that it's now like they had some sort of a t- ulterior motive. I, I thought they had just sort of missed the point. So I wanted to find people who hadn't missed the point. So, yeah, so he was one of the first people I found also. And now, like, I think Sagar, Crystal and Sagar are, are sort of my new source for people who I think aren't missing the point. Yeah, we're going to um, lose you on that mic. Oh, sorry, who aren't yeah. missing the point. But, yeah, they, over the last couple of years has been this, like, odyssey through, like, so who's alternative Crystal, who's sources. who's Crystal and Sagar again? They're the, what's the name of their show? They have, so they were on the Hill for yes. a while, um, and then they broke with them. Talked a lot of shit about the hill, which mm-hmm. I thought uh, wasn't a great look for them. And they have their a new their own media company now called Breaking Points, mm-hmm. and they're on YouTube. But you kind of um, hate them now too, because you you have these weird like like on I again d- off again relationships with people. Yeah, I, I think I dove a little bit too deep. <laughs> um, I dove a little bit too deep because now they're them. so well, rebel so and they love that they love themselves them. too much. Right? They now when they were with the hill there was this awesome tension between their viewpoint and this very establishment viewpoint mm-hmm. and it was really interesting to watch that tension work out and and i thought the product was always good now that they've gone on their own they went they've gone out on their own with this thesis mm-hmm. um of mainstream media is lying to you um everything is about wage inequality and cl- it's a class war mm-hmm. and now they're so incentivized to make that the narrative of everything they do Everything's about class war. Everything's about wage inequality. And when they cover things like Israel, that's also about uh, the woke versus the non-woke. Oh, it's also yeah, about yeah. inequality. It's also about the wealth gap. Are they and woke? No, no, no. It's saying, saying they'll, they'll, it's about that. It's about that. And 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 you're like, well, I don't think it, the Israel Israeli Palestinian conflict is about that. So they're viewing it. But all... what else are you missing the point on in America? So they're looking at everything that. through a modern lens, right? That, that current lens we're in, and applying it to everything. Exactly. Because they've got on their own, they they're like they have this thesis that they have to constantly be shoving down your throat, which isn't that different than Fox News and CNN. Mm-hmm. They also have a thesis and they also have a narrative. Um, and they become I, a trap to their own brand. I think so, and I wonder what they would say about that. I would yeah. love to talk to him about that. He kind of has the vibe to me of like a dude at a college party who everyone's like, he's so smart. And then you're <laughs> the only guy who's just like, what? Yeah, well, so and, and you hate it because yeah. he's like, he's kind of like saying smart stuff to get in someone girl's pants at the party. Yeah. And you're just like, and you're like, I, mean, I know I'm supposed to like this guy because everybody does, yeah. but I don't. Oh, well, then you realize he's like 27, and you're mm. like, you can't know that much. He has that, like, he has a graduate <laughs> student vibe. Yeah, well, he he says he was like a journalist for a long time. I, if you do the math, he was he was he covered the CIA for like a year and a half before yeah. he went on his own and like started being a coach. Sure, I'm talking bullshit, um, but whatever. He just it's just a vibe. No, 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 I'm saying it's not that long. Oh, like I he see. he doesn't have enough experience to talk that authoritatively and everything. But he it's seems like, like if you a compare nice the different qualities like during him. the industrial revolutions from the different societies. I mean, what we're seeing right. today, and you're just like. Yeah. What, what we're seeing today is very Bill Murray. His realignment. He has his own podcast yeah. with this guy named Marshall something. Okay. Who's awesome. And he has like a lot of like the pomp sometimes Cigar has of yeah. like how sure he is about his own opinion. Right. This other guy I think is, is like more real he's and awesome. gritty. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Marshall something. What's that one? Marshall something. It's called the Realignment Podcast with Cigar. And Mar- Marshall's. That's system. what we do. We lift other people up, man. Here at Buckle Up, <laughs> we lift them all up. The realignment. Realignment podcast. Realign- the realignment. We'll link, we'll link it in the description. Podcast. If we yeah. remember to do that, we will link it in the description. Yeah. Um, and who are we? Who are our sponsors today? <laughs> <laughs> we should. Oh, that'd be a fun bit. We should read fake sponsors. Uh, let's do it on the fly. Um, Alexander's Ass Cream. Thank you so much. We're going to read our sponsors from Alexander's Ass Cream, based in Russia. Interesting. If you've ever felt that itch, that weird (laughs) sensation, moisture from down below, and you need something to alleviate it, 
Try Alexander's ice cream. Wipe once, wipe twice. No more rash. <laughs> Buckle oh. up for 10% off. Buckle up for 10% <laughs> off in the promo code. Alexander ice cream. <laughs> bought from Russia. Um, sponsored by Donald Trump. Very good. Yeah. Alexander's ice cream is made in <laughs> Russia. I don't trust it. I use Trump's ice cream. Fantastic stuff. We make it in Mar-a-Lago. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Wipe your ass, folks. Keep it nice and dry. No one's got a drier ass than me. No moisture. No moisture. There's so many Trump impressions. Out yeah. there. Remember we saw Tyler Fisher? Mm-hmm. Um, he did a good one. Really he? good one. Yeah. But like, he's the one president. Like when, when, when Frank Caliendo mm-hmm. cracked George Bush, remember? That became what everybody did. With impressions, it's always like somebody cracks the code. And then you get impressions of that. The that Sebastian Maniscalco one now is going around. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm friends with a few of those guys who do it. Uh, Nikki Sniggs and a bunch of guys who were known. But your best I, I was doing it before I posted anything about it. We used to. They're big. They're decent people. You know, do you I, see the guy who put his mask on like Sebastian Maniscalco? Yeah, that's Nikki Smigs. It was great. He was just like, uh, was, yeah. was it Nikki Smigs? I don't know. Maybe I don't I, remember who it was. It's I have just to amazing. check. But he, what did he do? It was like a, the whole the whole the whole thing. I'm, just, I'm sure it was. I'm sure fantastic. he's a. We we made some. Yeah. We made a video together cool. uh, a little while ago. He's a comic impressionist. If we're talking about him, because he he was he's known for. It. But then people are like, you find what it is about the person. Someone cracks the code, um, and then you get a lot of variations. And who, is, who is it? No. But Trump's. There's been from the get go bunch of different angles on trump and they're all good but they point there's like soft donald trump i can't do all of them i do mine but um but there's like remember that guy it was a debate it was on comedy central the first guy i ever saw do trump i don't remember his name but it was him and a bernie sanders impersonator on comedy central yeah and they were like having a debate about chickens remember bernie sanders was talking chickens and there's like we got a lot of problems he was talking like it was a little bit it wasn't quite accurate but he was like i got a lot i forget what the show was two comics he was the first guy to sort of do it. Then the Alec Baldwin, mm-hmm. been very much like this. Remember, it was sort of like uh, really, really nice. I bang, literally bang. have never yeah. seen it. Yeah, I gave that zero percent of my attention. <laughs> Why? You hate Alec the whole Baldwin? the whole SNL making fun of Trump thing is oh, so yeah, absurd yeah. to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, he was funny. I think Alec Baldwin yeah. is funny, but SNL's low hanging fruit comedy, yeah, for that whole period sucked because all the late nights too. The comedy was awful. The worst it's ever been. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, uh, because um, basically it was, uh, everyone thinks this is funny, right? No. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, assuming common knowledge thing. It's toothless. Yeah, it's toothless. exactly right, exactly right. Yeah. I, I think it was, Norm MacDonald, may his memory be blessed. Man. <laughs> but he said something about that in interviews, like I, you know, about what's like not funny about the current state of comedy. It's oh, yeah, not, it's said. not. There's an interview, we have to find it, but he said something about, like, profound. He was just like, it's not ballsy to make fun of Donald Trump, you know? <laughs> yeah. Malcolm Gladwell had an, on his podcast. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he still does it. I used to I used to really love it. Um, he did an episode about satire mm-hmm. and about how there's this Israeli show that is satire, and he explained how SNL is not satire. Uh-huh. And I always go back to that when I think about SNL. If you, uh, if you, if you can find it in the on the podcast <laughs> store. Um the Malcolm Gladwell episode about satire um, is awesome. Yeah, basically, what happened they're, they're was not... SNL basically became The Daily Show. The Daily Show during Bush era was what SNL became during till now, in a way, mm-hmm. when it comes to politics. The Daily Show, after a while, when you would tune in on it, it wasn't common anymore. It was a picture of Bush going, and he goes, eh! and he would hot, and like, there would be this, like, <laughs> come on, this is the president? You know, Colbert at the time was doing a, a character. That was satire. Was satire. That was satire. But like the Daily Show, when it's preachy, guys, this comedy, it's just not that funny. Right. And it it's not that ballsy. Right. And then SNL became that too, where yeah. it's just like all we're doing is just pointing to the yeah. low-hanging fruit of like, what a clown. I wonder. You're, it's just like it shows you're like sealed off. Yeah. You're sealed off from something. When you're, you're blind to the comedy, you're blind to the truth a little bit. Of mm-hmm. the, That's what it felt like. Really. Right. And you can't make a real joke about it. Yeah. Lauren Michaels has been doing it so long. I wonder if he is just sitting back and thinking to himself, like well, there's there was a decade. There's going to be a decade where SNL won't be that great, but we'll we'll recover after. I love after how you get into the, these heads of these powerful people yeah. and presume their thoughts. Because he's probably comfortable with it. Like you know, this isn't a great time for comedy. We'll weather the storm and then we'll we'll pick back up. People don't talk about Lauren Michaels enough, in the sense that there is no one like him, who mm. has been around through the decades Doing it and for, some of the yeah. most quote powerful, notable, famous people on earth. Still, kind of bow to him, yeah, in a way. The puppet, not the puppet master, but like I was, 
I was watching a Dennis Miller podcast with all these huge like comics really exude a lot of confidence mm-hmm. on the circuit in the public sphere mm-hmm. on podcasts. Like you're like no one can touch them when you when when like you watch Bill Burr or something like that. Like it's intimidating. There's there's so much like confidence there. Yeah. And then Lorne Michaels comes up and there's even 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 Norm Macdonald uh, who who stuck it to SNL yeah. in a good way. But he's like you know when you're there I mean Lorne. Like there's this def- everyone's deferential. Yeah, Jim Dennis- Brewer was the same way on. Well, he, uh, and he le- he left, but they yeah, talk about Norm even- in this sort of like daddy, like not a, not to knock it, but like Dennis Miller is like ah, he still walks in the room. He still gives me the heebie jeebies. <laughs> Never done that Dennis. Your first time? <laughs> Never done it, but you know he's kind of got away. He's always kind of talking on that single breath before he gives out the breath. Never really done it, Dennis Miller. But Lauren Michaels comes in the room, baby, and you're still feeling the heebie jeebies. I don't know what. to... How was it? That was pretty good. Not bad? Yeah. I've always liked watching Dennis Miller, folks, because he's been a little bit off the cup. But, but he said, Do Lauren Michael still walks in the room. I still get the, I still get the mm-hmm. heart sinks there into the pants a little bit, shakes around, makes me feel a little Lawrence just got that power over you people. Um, Does he my, have a podcast, Dennis Miller? I don't know what he has, but I saw I, it's YouTube stuff. I mm-hmm. saw him with a bunch of comics shooting the shit. Norm he gray was gray hair? Is he like all gray? Probably. He's probably he's he's been like he's been like 60 for 40 years. You got know, nice he's, hair. he's that guy. Yeah. I but I I like the but like the, even people who, who like don't give a shit about anything, it's like Lorne Michaels comes up, and all of these people yeah. who he's kind of—I I mean, not that he's single-handedly made, but have launched from SNL. It's like you forget, like Adam Sandler, Chris Rock. You just forget like who went Everyone. through SNL. Yeah. It's it's incredible. Yeah. And if Lorne Michaels was just the guy to launch these people, like our pop culture is shaped by him, and he's not like featured on CNN's Heroes. I'm not saying I don't know him as the like like. It's just crazy. As a, can you can you? He's one. He's the one person you can like single handedly. Right. Like Spielberg launched careers of, of specific actors. Yeah. Like five of them, but like. Right. Know. He is like set the tone for comedy for decades in America. Yeah. Not. I don't know. I don't know if I all wonder, comedy. I just mean entertainers out there who've made such impacts. There's been so many people connected and have gone through. Right. That. Yeah. That that's thing. fair enough. Yeah. But when Jim Brewer talked about the climate of SNL, that was like it sounded oof. awful. Yeah. But then when he got to Lorne Michaels, he was like very like. No, yeah. But he was a nice guy. He was no, great. Dude, was always nice to <laughs> yeah, me, man. Right. He's <laughs> like viciously ripping Jim apart Brewer. everyone else. But I, Miller Michaels was I nice. Wonder, yeah. I wonder if Jim Brewer is still about to get his like launch to like, you know, like that status of no, of being of, of how known you are. And you think like he's he's like a generally, you know, you know, somewhat famous person. People I, I don't know if he gets stopped every two seconds, but there's like those levels of sort of uh, notoriety, how known people are. I'm yeah, not getting you the right think word. He's, What's he, the word I'm thinking of? Not notoriety. notoriety. Notoriety, whatever. Like a staple, a name. You say Jim Brewer to everybody? Yeah. Not really, but mo- about a good amount of people. His face, I think everyone would know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, I feel like other comics talk about him as like underrated, underappreciated. Yeah. yeah. Joe Rogan's that. talked about it. I, I probably think I, I've watched this. He's like, he's in a, he murders. Yeah. And he doesn't get his, you know, am I saying this like comments? What's the word? Comeuppance. Comeuppance. He doesn't get his, uh, fair right, share of attention right, for his like, skill. And like level. if he died, God forbid today, he would have the same reaction as, as people had for Norm. Like he was actually one of the greatest. He I don't think so. I don't no, think no, so. no. And Norm had this weird space. He was in like no other. Where yeah. every comic had to read the respect of almost everybody, yeah, and yet not the admiration. No, but no one, not everyone was a fan of Norm, but right. like across and commercially, but he had the respect of certainly all the comics. Right. But with but Brewer and guys like that who you know have amazing working careers, and it's it looks see it look from from my perspective like that's you know props to them for all they've accomplished. Yeah, uh, I wonder if I'm noticing it recently with a comic that I've been following for a while. It's happened. Jesse Kirsten, do you know who she is? Yeah, she was just on, on Rogan. Rogan yeah. I hope I'm getting her name I know. right. Kirsten, Kirsten, Jesse Kirsten. She's so, so super funny. I've been following her Instagram more recently yeah. in the past couple of years. I saw her when we were in high school at the yeah, cellar yeah, yeah. with Modi. Were you with me? Uh, yeah. It's possible. Oh my God. It's possible. Um, I don't remember it though. She was on the stage with Modi. She did this baby crying bit. <laughs> I must have been with you because who else did was I go to the cellar Rock with? Came in? No. But she was on yeah, there, and probably. she called Modi up, and the two of them were thinking, and she did this baby cry bit where she was like, ah, ah. Oh, yeah, she's very ah. uh, grotesque. Yes, but over <laughs> the years, it's gotten a little bit different. She used to be a little bit more, I think, I don't know. I, I saw her live then, years ago. Yeah, but she's and, been doing it forever. And she lost a lot of weight over the years. Yeah. She looks a little different than then. But now um, she's uh, getting this new kind of recognition because right. of in the – 
Like, I see what you're saying. There are comics getting rebirthed by social right. media in a way who've been doing it forever, but before then they were yeah. waiting on and green it lights. Happens from with com- like Tignataro kind of had that. Louis C.K. had it himself. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and they before he blew up because they were in the world of trying to get a sitcom. Like that was the that was the way you did right, it. How else right, do you right. get to people? Like you get your shows, you do your clubs, and you try to get a sitcoming. Yeah. And then with social media, the people who took to it well are getting that kind of recognition. And and now she's on. I just noticed it with certain people. Like I was following her, Bill Burr, like. I think uh, produced or executive produced one of her special. I'm not sure about that, but he was involved in some way and gave her props. And Tim yeah. Dillon just t- tweeted about her. She's oh, the yeah. funniest person on earth right oh, now wow. is Jesse Kirsten. Can you imagine what? And is- yeah, and no, and just to finish the point, like then she's on Rogan. I'm noticing these patterns of things, and I, I'm like, it gives a lot of validity to playing the long game, right? And in that long game, can you imagine what it's like to see someone start way later than you? Like, like, she probably was with Aziz Ansari, you know, when he first started. She had been doing it for 15 years already. Mm-hmm. And then to see someone blow up so big. Yeah. And you're kind of in the same place you've right. been. I can't imagine how Well, yeah, that yes. I can see why that can... I don't well, She's probably it. saw tons of people. That's the begin game. And, that is and the game. But I'm, I tend to take an attitude, and maybe I'm born with it. But I'm always <laughs> encouraged by other people's success, not discouraged. Because yeah, I'm like, okay, that's another example. They're doing something and they hit something in a certain way that worked. It means there are solutions and ways to figure yeah. it out that work. It doesn't mean I'm not going to get my turn. Because right. I don't believe in the turn kind of thing. It's yeah. just like the more you're at it, you're not hitting your intersection point where you found the thing that like, but as long as you keep putting in the time and the work and the effort, yeah. you are making these inroads, you know? Would she be one of the only sort of female comedians over like 40 to sort of get that come up? I can't think of... Jane Lynch. She's like a performer. She's an actor. In the comedy world, comedy actress. Yeah. So? All right. When did Morgan Freeman get famous? It's probably. It was so for men, but I'm thinking for women. Like, how many late, late, later in life do they get that? Do they get that chance? You know, it's not fair. I think it's more like, you know, imagine someone's like burrowing through a cave and they're trying to get to the other side, right? And when Jesse may have started or any of these, uh, you know, comics who've been around for a little bit longer, they had certain tools. Yeah. They had these tiny little pickaxes. and so I, Maybe I said Morgan Freeman, so I'm thinking of Shawshank with a Andy Dufresne. <laughs> I like to think the last thing that went through the warden's head, besides the bullet. <laughs> besides the bullet. <laughs> he became the narrator after that movie. <laughs> uh, maybe I just miss my friend, Andy Dufresne. But he, they started with that, so they're just doing it for much longer. Yeah. And then by the time an Aziz comes around, it's 10, 15 years later, and he's starting with a sledgehammer that that can make a little more. He just there are different tools at different at different things, and it's a different environment. And so you see that happen, and it's not like it's like he's only been doing it two years. I've been doing it forty. It's like no, when I started, this is what I was working with. This was the context. This was the environment. And if Aziz and I started at the same time, maybe that would have happened. But in the end, you just have to do what you do, and like you know, yeah. take the opportunities where they come. She must love doing stand up. Oh yeah, they must I just love be. it, and she's very good at it. And her crowd work is amazing. I watch it all the time on Instagram, yeah. and it's super super yeah. funny. And I have to watch the Rogan episode because um, I was just very happy to see that. It yeah. just means like every time I see an instance of the long game working or even the short game. Yeah. When I saw the stuff happening with TikTokers and stuff blowing up and like people getting audiences, I was like, okay, I'm going to go for it yeah. and, and make my mark. Not, oh, that's not fair. How come he got that? Mm-hmm. I did it on this. Maybe I wasn't doing something right. Clearly, I wasn't. It's right. like the world is telling you what's working and what's not working. So mm-hmm. experiment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so I'm encouraged by people's success yeah. very often. I never, I try, I really rarely get territorial. Um, it can sting. It can sting. But it also tells you, like, okay, good. Yeah. Like, there's fish in the water to catch. Right. People are catching them all around you, so they're in there. If nobody caught a fish, you'd be yeah. like, this is all hopeless. But if you were seeing fish everywhere, you'd be like, I'm keeping my rod in, and I'm going to keep on. Um... You have a very positive attitude. Yeah. That's nice. See? Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna I, do this the rest of the show. <laughs> All I'm saying is, yeah. am I, what, is what I'm saying right. untrue? I, is it I, blindly I, optimistic? Yeah. I, you no, know, I don't think so. In the music game, when I would see people doing it, I would be like, "That's awesome," but I would also, if because I believe in that, it's really often attributed to. I don't believe in somebody handing out golden tickets. It's just mm-hmm. not how things. From my experience, mm-hmm. it's not true. If I did, if that was my framework, it would be like, that's not fair. I want the ticket. Why didn't I get it? Yeah. But I think I really attribute a lot of this, and I've seen most successful cases, like that guy works his ass off. Like I saw somebody building it up on social media, and there's this artist I follow. Um, 
that I did a show with, like I uh, put him on a bill with a bunch of us years ago, and like so I knew him then. What was his name? I'm blanking. Will you come over, right? Come over and you stay the night. You know that song? But if the world was ending, you'd come over, right? What's his name? I'll have to... It's killing me. Anyway, great artist, singer, songwriter. I'm singing it so people who know would know. Doja Cat? No, no, he's not fully there yet. But the first time I heard Anderson Pack 2, I was like, this is going to be huge. But he's also working his ass off. Yeah. He played on Late Night as a drummer for years. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. That's why he's a kick-ass drummer. He, and even... So anyway, when I heard this guy, I'm trying to stall so I can find his name, but I can't. Anyway, his social media game was off the charts. Good. The way he documented and told stories and stuff like... The work is what's driving... The results of what he's putting out is what's driving the success. Mm-hmm. No one's handing him a ticket, you know? Yeah. And granted, it happens here and there, like where somebody wins a lottery. But you're not trying to be successful compare yourself to lottery winners. You're comparing yourself, in a sense, to peers and colleagues who are also pursuing the same things, doing the same work. Yeah. So when people do get successful, it's encouraging because you're like, okay, we're all like eating out of the shit sandwich. And, and you can get a bite, like, if you're hacking away, but you have to do it, you know? And then there's someone like Lil Nas X who, I mean, he, it, I mean, it sounds like he, he worked very hard until that one song, but that one song broke. Sure. And then he, he also happens to be sort of a genius, <laughs> you know, uh, he incidentally. He doesn't incidentally. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. That's, yeah, that's, that's, amazing what, that's what I'm saying. Media. That's what I'm saying. The order, I don't know if, it, I don't know if the, the song broke because... It, Say, it, it was it was it wasn't it was nothing one song something it wasn't like this gradual buildup but but he some but he was also able to exactly to, you've to heard of the one hit wonder it. I met people in my day who couldn't match it and do it right and so clearly was, which is maybe the timing was that he that he blew up in some sense first but has the wherewithal to maintain it yeah, that's blowing I mean. up it's for just a second cool to see. also sucks. Right, but being good right, at your craft right, right. is what you want so that you can just maintain it and move past the big hits. You don't want to be like stuck in that zone. Um, cause you've, I've had, I've seen people who that one hit wonder phase where they can't match what they, that, right. that, that, uh, initial yeah. spark or initial thing. Maybe I'm wrong about it. Maybe he had an audience before that. Yeah. I don't think he did. Oftentimes, did. more often than not, I would say, yeah. You found him when you found him, and everybody else found him when they found him at that same time. I mean, you assumed right, right, right. he just appeared, but right. the phrase 10 years to an overnight success, right? 10 years to an overnight success is very right. true. But he's not a, he was, I think he literally was a person in his room making music. It wasn't like a band where yeah. like there was sort of a community. And that's what a lot of the platforms, TikTok and the like, there's a guy, Ty Virtus, on TikTok who also is playing festivals now, mm-hmm. and he's been doing it. He was like, a year ago, I was a barista, and now I'm up here at right. Coachella. So when I see that, I'm like, whew, wow compared to the years and years spent in the grind and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the intersect... And then I asked myself, did I take advantage of the platform when it came out when he did? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Like, he hit that TikTok... His TikToking and content creation was what helped drive his stuff. It's not like I did the same exact things either. Yeah. You know, I might have let that one slip by. Mm-hmm. So I, try, I tend to just be very encouraged when other people are successful for that reason. If you believe, which I do, that most of it's result of a lot of hard work and grit and determination and all that kind of stuff. Well, we'll see about that. Yeah, we'll see how this podcast does. I don't know. <laughs> um, this one was more serious. A little bit. I think we jumped right into it. Yeah, because... Yeah. Maybe more my style than your style. Good. We leaned more... Yeah. Oh, we did some funny shtick, too. That's yeah. okay. I'm not so self-conscious about it. I don't care about other people's opinions. I'm just going to rip now as Gary Vee for 30 minutes on some real shit to make this fucking funny as fuck. <laughs> Any other final thoughts before we close um, out episode I have, two? I have ideas for next time about the uh, the cult of content creation and where it's leading us. We did a fake ad, what we thought of on the spot. That was Alexander's <laughs> that was butt that cream, was Alexander's nice. ass cream from Russia. So we'll clip that. Um, so what's the we next? Can't just, oh, also, we can't just say Squarespace, Squarespace is sponsoring us, you know? We, we can't. just say it. We can't just say what, it. What would they care? Yeah. Brought to you by Squarespace. Just say it. And go daddy. And go daddy. And, and go mommy. Uh, what else? Go mommy. Meandies. That's the patriarchy. Go mommy. Um, meandies. <laughs> For years, I used to call it meandies around the house. Hey, yeah. meandies. And then that came out, so we were just, we were, we'd crack up about that. Um, next week on Buckle Up. <laughs> Tell us, Michael. Uh, you know, I think we got, got, got some ideas. We'll, uh, next week on Buckle <laughs> Up, Michael's got some ideas. <laughs> 
Anyway, um, that's Buckle Up episode yeah. two. Congrats, Michael. Thank you. We it's, did it. It's harder to do two so hopefully than Hopefully the video came out and the audio came out. Thanks to everyone who's been uh, supporting us. Give, even just a nice encouraging word is very uh, very helpful, so thank you. Yeah, and we hit 10 followers in a single day. Yeah, look at that. In a single day, yeah. so that was amazing. One of them was a sex bot. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I, I shared it on our story, and the account got flagged mm. for community guidelines on the very first day. Yeah. I almost had to shut it down and start it again. So the account is allowed to exist on Instagram, but you're not allowed to talk about that account on Instagram. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, exactly. It, they ha- it's, they she, punished it's an Instagram me account. for her showing her yeah. ass to me. That wasn't fun. That wasn't fun at all. And shout out again to Tim Dillon, yes, who you. shared a clip on my other Instagram at AJ Comedy. He shared a clip of this podcast, yeah. and uh, we're huge fans of Tim. And so his thank producer Ben. Yeah, it was thanks, a, guys. Yeah, we that appre- was really exciting. We appreciate it, and 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 I have to say, Michael was the one who introduced me to Tim Dillon, and we saw you guys live at the Shadow Band show at the Comedy Store in L.A., which really kind yeah. of changed my whole outlook December. and inspired me as far as comedy. It was you? It was Tim Dillon? Andrew Schultz, Andrew Santino, and Tony Hinchcliffe yeah. murdering like I've never seen the room shaking with laughter. Extremely exciting moment. It was like we were at yeah. an underground rock show. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like there was like a movement happening that yeah. was starting in that room. It was really cool. It yeah. was, that was at December 2019, right before. Uh, and the funny thing is Tim was went first on that set. Yeah, we, we, we were online and we were just listening in. Yeah. And you know what you said? You were like listening in and going, <laughs> you were cracking up. I'm like, what's funny? He's like, he's talking about Gary V. <laughs> oh, that was before, yeah. He was like, where, yeah. Gary? Where do we start? It's like, execute or think about it. I think you should do both. Yeah. Okay, where do we meet? He's like, I'm in the mall with the gun. What do I do now? <laughs> what do I do, Gary? Come, do we start a business together? Tell me. Okay? And he was just starting. And then in the meet and greet afterwards, all the other comics were getting a lot of attention. And I remember seeing at some point, Tim was kind of like chilling to himself because yeah. his thing had... Which is amazing. I didn't know him that well. It was like I'd barely seen any stuff. At, you know. I guess anyway. he's grown a lot since then. Yeah, through COVID, yeah. I think he's Oh, grown my a lot. God. Yeah. His show has just exploded. Yeah. It's good for him. It's so yeah. funny. I don't, I don't know if he was doing the podcast just yet. Or no, just... Def- that's the only way I knew him. So for sure. Oh, okay. Was. So it was sure starting. Was, yeah. I, I clearly, at, on the list, you had Hinchcliffe and Schultz and a bunch of people. But even Schultz wasn't right. flagrant he, too huge yet. He opened it. So I guess he was the, the, the smallest. The Sorry. Um, all right. Um, all right, we're going to call Let's it call for today. It. That's episode two of Buckle Up Buckle with up, baby. Ami and Mike. <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, that was cool. That was cool.